Amen. How's everyone doing this morning? Come on, you can do better than that. We're back in church. Can we give God some praise for that? Thank you, Joe. I love what Joe said this morning. I need a little Jesus today. How many of you need a little Jesus this morning? Come on. Amen. You guys can have a seat as we get into the Word of God this morning. We're doing things a little different, obviously, with the distance and all of that. But one thing's going to stay the same in this church, and that is that we're going to have an amazing Word from God and amazing worship to give to Him. So as we get ready for the Word of God this morning, it's so good to be back. It's good to see real people now. It's really difficult. You don't, you don't think it is, but it's really difficult to look at a camera by yourself in a room and preach. It's one of the hardest things we've ever had to do. But we got through it in these two months, and I hope that you guys were faithful. How many of you tuned in online during this pandemic, during everything we're doing? Great. I'm glad that you guys were blessed by that. We're going to go into the book of Psalms, chapter 27. I have a small word to give you guys today, but I'm excited to preach this word today. Psalm chapter 27, beginning at verse 13, and this is what the word of God says. It says, I would have despaired. Notice what David said here. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living. He's not talking about heaven and eternity. He's talking about the land of the living here in this life on earth. So David says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And finally, verse 14, he says, wait for the Lord. Can we just say that together? Wait for the Lord. Come on, like you want to hear it? Wait for the Lord. Look to your neighbor six feet away and say, wait for the Lord. All right, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, he says it one more time because we need to hear it. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. And I pray, Lord, as we learn this teaching today, that you would make it easy for us to understand and to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of, this is going to be good. Come on, say that with me. This is going to be good. Now, you usually say that when something exciting is about to happen, when something great is about to happen. I, like, I usually say that when I see like couples in public fighting, and I like to watch, and I'm like, this is going to be good. You know, I, I'll be honest about that. But this is going to be good. See, these past two months... It's really hard for us to really think that things are going to be good now. When you look, watching the news, and you look at the nation, you look at our country, you look at the divide we're in right now, you look at the pandemic, you look at the stock market, which had a great week, thank God, but weeks before it was terrible, people were losing their jobs, people were dying, getting sick, over 100,000 people died in two months in America, that is unheard of. We have witnessed things in these past two months that I believe can make it almost impossible for us to even, as Christians, believe that something good can come out of all of this. Let's be honest here. It's hard. I mean, we don't watch the news and hear about the pandemic and the deaths and the riots and the protests or whatever you want to call it. And the last thing we think is, man, God is good. I can't believe this is happening. God is so good. Because the reality is that in life, sometimes it looks like God is not good. Even though we serve a good God, even though we believe we have a a good God, knowing that life is what it is sometimes, it's hard for us to really believe that God is good. That's why I love Psalm 27, what David said here, because the Bible says that David believed he would see the goodness of God. Now David, he had his share of problems. David often would write about through the Psalms how he cried at night, he couldn't really sleep, he was anxious, he was worried, he had all this drama going on in his life. How many of you have some, a little drama going on in your life right now? Show me your hands. Just a little drama. Good. All right. How many of you are the reason for the drama? You like the drama. You're starting the drama. All right. I don't, just keep your hand down. No one wants to see that. Anyway, David had a lot of drama in his life. See, the Bible says that 
David would often be betrayed by friends, which some of us can relate to. David had family problems at home. His own family, his son and his sister, I mean his his daughter, they were all divided. He had problems in his marriage. He had problems with his own personal habits and sin and bad choices he was making. And the sad thing about this is that when you would look at David's life in public, you would never have known. Because as a king, you couldn't show your weakness. So David would go out into the public square. Everyone would see him. Everyone would praise him. Everyone would give him thanks. Everyone needed him. He was strong. He was wise. He was loyal. He was a great king. But here's the truth. Even though he looked great in public, his private life was falling apart. See, right now in the times we're living in, anyone can look great in public. Anyone. We can dress right, speak right, post the right pictures online, and everyone can assume that we are great in public. But the reality is that many of us, it's the private life that we have that's really out of control. It's the private life that no one really sees. It's the private life that you keep hidden. It's the private life that you're ashamed of that really begins to wreak havoc in our spirits and in our personal lives. So David could relate to having a great public life, but privately, as he put it, in despair. You see, when you think about that word despair, I want to read verse 13, what he says here. David says, I would have despaired. Now, I want you to look at this word as I highlighted here. He says, I would have despaired. When you think about that word despair, it means to lose hope. That's all it means, to lose hope. Now, in order to understand what hope is, it's simple. Hope is the idea that things are going to get better. That's what hope is. That's the only thing hope is. When you're hoping, it means that you are believing and you are assuming that things are going to change, that things are going to get better, things are going to get easier. It's not always going to be this way. In fact, things are going to look brighter. That's what it means to have hope. So when you are hopeless, it literally means that you are believing that things are never going to change. Things are never going to get better. Things are not going to get brighter. I'm going to stay stuck in this mess. I'm going to stay stuck in this problem. I'm never going to come out of this. And you develop this negative mindset of hopelessness because the honest truth, hopelessness comes from despair. So when you have this despair in your life, when you have this despair in your mindset, no matter what you hear, no matter what people tell you, you really believe that things are not going to change for you. They'll change for other people. Other people will be blessed by God. But pastor, not me, because things have never been easy for me. Things have never been good for me. From childhood all the way to adulthood, I've struggled. I've been treated unfairly. Why would things ever get better for me? If that's the mentality you have today, then you are in despair. In fact, when we look at where we're at right now, these past two months, the one way, the one word you can describe it all in is despair. Our country, our world is in despair right now. There might be some despair in your life. Maybe there's despair in your marriage and you're thinking, man, I should just get a divorce. We should, we should even try because it's not going to change. Things don't get better. Maybe as parents, you have despair over your children. Your children are making bad choices. They're really disappointing you. And despair begins to tell you, well, maybe this is a product of me being their father, their mother. Maybe this is my fault. Maybe I deserve to see my child ruin their lives. And now parents are in despair, believing that their kids are far beyond change. We look at our country and we think, is it ever going to get better? Will things get how they used to be? Are we ever going to get back under God as a country? We don't know. There are churches that are in despair right now. I talk to friends of mine that pastor great churches that aren't even, they're not even sure if they can reopen right now. They think that they've lost their churches. See, if we can really look at our lives like David, we can honestly assume that we can quickly fall into despair. And when you fall into this pit of despair, believing that all hope is gone, believing that nothing's going to change, you begin to feel discouraged. 
You begin to live with doubt. You actually begin to get angry, maybe at yourself, maybe at God. We don't really know. But the truth is, many people, maybe in this room or listening online right now, are living life with despair. And they want to give up. And see, when you have this despair in your life, it's easy to cover it up with a smile. It's easy to cover it up by saying things like, God is good, and oh, I'm blessed, and I'm highly favored, and yeah, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm okay, I'm doing all right, you know, I'm decent. We can hide despair when we sing worship, when we raise our hands, when we come to church holding our Bible, smiling, whatever. You can't see the smile, you have a mask on. But we can really say that despair is in our hearts, but sometimes no one even sees it. So when you look at the life of David, David said, I would have despaired. I would have been hopeless. I would have given up. I would have lost all hope that things were going to change. But he says, but I believed that I would see the goodness of God. Notice what David said here. I believed that I would see the goodness of God. So while David was faced with family problems and private life problems and marriage problems and problems with kids and problems with other problems, David was standing between hope and despair. He was right in the middle. And he had a choice to make. Am I going to choose to live in despair? Am I just going to tell myself it's hopeless? Am I just going to be negative all the time? Am I just going to say I should just give up and not even try anymore? Am I going to doubt? Am I going to live in fear? Am I going to choose despair or am I going to choose hope? Am I going to choose to believe that things are going to change for me? It's not always going to be this way. Am I going to choose to believe that God has a better plan for my life? Am I going to choose to believe that God is working a purpose for my life? See, when you're in the middle between a crisis and you have hope and despair, it's all about the choice you're going to make. It's a choice. If you're living with despair, If you're living with hopelessness, I do not feel sorry for you. I don't. Because that is a personal choice you have made. That is a personal choice. Well, Pastor, I'm sad. I don't care. Well, Pastor, I'm feeling pretty hopeless. It's your choice. So whether you're living under discouragement and depression and sadness and negativity, understand that feeling that you have of despair has nothing to do with the situation you're in right now. It has nothing to do with what's happening in the world right now. It has nothing to do with your past. It has nothing to do with what people did to you. Despair is a choice. We know this because David said, I would have despaired. So despair is optional. Despair is a choice. And if you have chosen to live a life of despair, it will ruin you and get you absolutely nowhere in life. No one who was successful ever said, I'm just glad and I am where I am today successfully because I was hopeless all the time. I was angry all the time. I had pity parties all the time. I was always blaming people. And I'm glad I chose to do that because I would not have the success I have today if I never lived despair. doesn't happen. So my question is, what choice are you going to make with the crisis you're going through right now? Are you going to choose to live in hope? Or are you going to choose to live with despair? It's all a choice. In the moment of your crisis, you have to determine whether you're going to let despair control you or you're going to give control over to God. David had this choice to make. And he says something profound. He said, I believe I'm going to see the goodness of God. What you choose to believe about God 
will really determine how you live the rest of your life. If you believe right now that God is an angry God, waiting for you to mess up, waiting for you to sin, waiting for you to make a mistake so he can just beat down on you and put shame on you, your belief of God is going to cause you to live in constant guilt and shame. If your belief about God is that he is awesome, he's so loving, he's so gracious, he's so merciful, he loves me how I am, you're going to live to make mistakes and not even care about it. Because, hey, God's going to forgive me. That's what I believe about God. What do you believe about God? See, David had a choice to make. Am I going to believe that God is who he says he is? Am I going to believe that God is in control? Or am I going to believe that God has abandoned me? Am I going to believe that God is not going to work this out? Am I going to believe that God has just left me on my own? So my question this morning to you, church, is what do you really believe about God? When David was faced with this crisis and this choice he had to make between despair and hope, David chose to believe in the goodness of God. He said, I believe I will see the goodness of God. But see, if you really look at that verse, David said, I believe I would see. What that means is David is saying right now, I don't see the goodness of God. Right now, I don't see how any good can come out of this. Right now, I'm in a season of my life that it appears as though God is not good. David was honest and he said, I would see it, meaning it is not something I see right now. And if we get honest as a church together, we can confess before God and say, God, I don't always see your goodness. I don't, you know, we can't see the goodness of God when someone is diagnosed with cancer. When I get phone calls that say, oh, so-and-so has cancer, the last thing in my mind is, oh, man, God is good. Praise God. When I've gone to funerals of infants, and you see the death of a child, it's impossible to see the goodness of God in that. When you've lost your job, it's hard to see the goodness of God. When you're struggling financially, it's hard to see the goodness of God. When your kids are acting up and you tried your best to raise them in the ways of God, it's hard to see the goodness of God. It's hard to see the goodness of God during this pandemic. It's hard to see the goodness of God during the injustice now with the riots. It's hard to see God when there's so much pain and there's so much sadness and so much betrayal and so much agony. The last thing on our mind is to say, Man, I believe that God is good because sometimes we're not going to see the goodness of God. And that doesn't make you less of a Christian. It doesn't mean that you have less faith. You can be honest like David and say, I don't see the goodness in this, God. Lord, I don't see how this is good right now. In fact, I believe that since the time we closed our church to right now where we're at, you have gone through things in your life that make it almost impossible to see the goodness of God. But let me remind you, church, that even though it may be difficult to see the goodness of God, it is not impossible. And I want to teach you how you can develop this mindset to see the goodness of God in such a way that even if your life is the worst it's been, and even if you have no breakthrough, and things keep breaking down on you, and people keep hurting you, and you want to lose hope, I guarantee if you apply this teaching today in your life, you will always see the goodness of God to the point that whatever you go through, deep down there's going to be a little voice that says, this it's going to be good. You believe that? I know you don't. Don't lie. You're like, prove it. All right, I will. You guys ready for me to prove you wrong? All right, say, prove me wrong. All right. <laughs> Remember, what you believe about God.
would ultimately determine how you choose between hope and despair. So, David says, I would have despaired. Despair was there. Had I not believed that I would see the goodness of God. So when you're faced with despair and you want to get into one of your moods, you know what I'm talking about? All right. You know your moods. Leave me alone six feet apart. That's why I love this now because I was never a people person, so now I can be like, hey. And it's not about your safety I care about. I just don't like you. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But the truth is, I love you guys. The truth is, where was I? My God, help me. (laughs) Forgive me, Lord. (laughs) The reality is, is that when we look at this life that we're living, David says, I would have despaired had I not believed. So when you are faced with despair, think about what you believe about God. What you believe about Him, truly. David stopped despair in his life because of what he believed about God. And you may think that the Psalms doesn't say what he believed about God, but it does. Barbie, go to verse 14 there for me. He said this, I would have despaired had I not believed I would have seen the goodness of God. And David says, wait for the Lord. Let me say that one more time. Wait for the Lord and be strong. Let me ask you this. Are you strong right now? Some of you might say, no, pastor, I'm not. I'm weak. I'm weak in my faith. I'm weak in my temptation. I'm weak in my flesh. I I don't see the goodness of God and I'm doubting and I'm angry and I'm sad. And and Pastor, it's hard for me to wait on a God that I believe has abandoned me. That I believe has forgotten about me. You don't know how many people I talk to that talk to me this way. I just feel like God has left me alone. And David says... Wait on the Lord. How many of you are just great and can say, Pastor, I got that part. I am a great waiter of God. That's even a phrase. I don't know. How many are great at waiting for the Lord? Look around you. You're all sinners. That's messed up. You say you trust God, but you can't wait for Him? Do you know what happens When we grow impatient, it leads you to make wrong choices. When David was faced with despair, he said, wait for the Lord. Now, this intrigued me because as I was studying this, I felt, I said, man, David, I talk to the Bible characters when I study. It's weird. (laughs) And I said, David, what what does one thing have to do with another? Because he's saying... I would have despaired. I would have been hopeless. It would have been really bad. And then he says, just wait on the Lord. And I'm thinking, that's bad advice. If someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, I'm struggling in my marriage. What do I do? And I say, oh, just wait on God. It's going to look like I'm just brushing you off. If you tell me, Pastor, I'm struggling with my kids. I don't know what to do. I need advice. Yeah, just wait on God. Won't you be offended by me? Won't you say, Pastor, I need some some truth. I need some wisdom. I need some instructions. Yeah, just wait on God. Just wait. Those are the kind of phrases that I call punch-me phrases. When someone tells you, oh, just wait on the Lord, there's a fist I make. Right? We don't like it. Until I understood what David meant. That word wait is a Hebrew word that doesn't mean what you think it means. When that Psalms was written in Hebrew, in the original language, that word wait doesn't mean to just wait idly by for God to do something. Ironically, that word wait is the word hava in the Hebrew. Hava means, this, this is crazy. Hava literally means, say it with me, hava. Just say hava. Good. Hava literally means to tie strands of string together to make a rope. 
Does that make sense? Let's be honest. You're like, oh, I get it now. How many of you understand David now? Right? Do you see why this verse bothered me? Because I thought it meant just wait on God and he's going to do something like we preach in the church. But when you read it in the original language, he's saying what he really believes about God. You ready for this? Brace yourself. I haven't preached in two months. Come on, ready? ready. All right. What David says, that's bringing it all together. I have family problems. My wife is crazy. My kids are messed up. People think I'm this great king and godly man, but if people knew that I struggle with sin and lust and everything that I'm going through, he's saying, I am between despair and hope right now. But I believe, and here comes the rope part, I believe the same way you take three strands of string and cross them together to make a rope. I believe that God is taking everything I'm going through. He's bringing it together to make something stronger. Get excited about that. Because you know what David says? I believe that even though I could despair, even though I'm being betrayed, even though people are lying about me, David even said in the Psalms here that people were violent towards him. We don't know who or why, but David believed this about God. No matter what I'm going through, I believe I will see the goodness of God because I believe right now God is making this rope in my life. I believe that God is taking everything together and he's making something stronger. So even though I don't understand it now, I believe that God is sovereign, God is in control, God is so powerful, and God is so loving towards me that even though though I don't see the goodness of God now, I know he's putting it all together to make something better. Could God be doing that in your life right now, but you're so busy in despair, complaining with your little pity party that you're not able to really see that God was just telling you, if you only knew how powerful I am, if you only knew how much I love you, you would see that right now, I don't look good right now. I know right now you hurt. I know right now you struggle. But if you could only see what I'm doing and how I'm making a rope in your life, how I'm bringing it all together to make something stronger. See, when you bring the strands together and you make a rope and you burn the edges, it is a lot stronger than before, right? You know why God chose this word in the Hebrew Hava? Because He wants you to know that when God is done putting everything together, you are going to come out stronger. Now why is this so important? Because it means that if cancer should come, if divorce should come, if sickness should come, if child rebellion should come, if marital problems can come, if financial crisis arrives, I can choose to believe and say, I don't like it, I don't see why it's good for me, Lord, but I trust that you're going to work it, and in the end, I'm going to come out of this stronger. I love the encouragement in the room tonight. Because this is a... This is proof how much despair you have right now. God is working everything. People say to me all the time, why don't you look worried? It's because I have chosen to believe what God says in His Word. Romans 8.28 if you're faced with a crisis and you're choosing between despair and hope. And we know that God causes all, say it with me, all things to work together. What does that look like? Hava. Hava. You got it. Hava. I'm working all things. Hey, those things you don't like, I'm working it. Those things that aren't fair, I'm working it. Oh, that thing that causes you to lose sleep at night, I'm going to work it. Together. For the what? 
Not for your punishment. For good. For those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. Let me ask you a question. This verse will mean nothing to you if you don't answer this question correctly. He works all things together for those who love God who are called according to His purpose. Answer these two questions for me and I'm going to tell you if you're going to make it or not. Number one, do you love God? Do you know what it means to love God? Okay. I'm going to preach on it in a few weeks, so get ready. Do you love God? Okay, second question. Do you believe God has a purpose for your life? Then don't despair. Don't despair. People that despair don't believe that God loves them. It's why you freak out. It's why you panic. It's why you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do? You forgot God loves you? God has a purpose for you. You're not just, I mean, if God would have said, I made you, I created you, and said, okay, good luck, see you later, I'd be crying right now. But God has a purpose for your life. So whatever I go through, if I believe that God is making this rope in my life because He loves me and He has a purpose for my life, no matter what I go through in my life, I believe that God is working a purpose. And that purpose is for good. So you're saying, well, Pastor, what's the purpose in what I'm going through right now? I'm glad you're complaining and asking me. Listen, there are three reasons and only three reasons God allows bad things to happen to good people, even though the Bible says no one's good, but whatever, for the sake of culture, why does bad things happen to good people? You ain't good. Don't lie to yourself. I can just say, think about the last two months. How'd you behave? You'd be like, not good. You're not good. Say it. I'm not good. All right. But for the sake of a demonic lie, let's just say we're good people. We say, well, why does bad things happen? There are three reasons why bad things happen to, quote, good people. Number one, discipline. You know why bad things happen? Because of the not-so-good choices you're making. I love it. You put your mask higher. These masks are going to be trouble. <laughs> Some of you have your face, your whole eyes covered, man. Come on. Come on. The reason that bad things happen, number one, it's not, it's not a surprise. Bad things happen in our lives because we deserve it. We made bad choices. Why do bad marriages happen? Sometimes you married a bad person. Let's just admit it. You are young, stupid, your eyes, I don't know. Sometimes we're in financial crisis because you have made some bad financial choices. Let's get real. Look at your credit card statement, your bank, and there's things you're like, how did I buy that? Why did I buy that? Bad choices. And because God loves you, like you said, you know He did. Right? Confess, yeah, I, say, I, I, I said that. And believe that He has a purpose for your life. God then is obligated to discipline you when you make bad choices. Why? Because there is love and discipline. How many parents do I have here? Do you discipline your children because you hate them? You're like, hmm. We discipline our children. My cat, your kids. We discipline them. And Jacob. We discipline them. Because we love them. And we're teaching them. That's why, you know, my generation, I think, is the last generation that knew what discipline was. Come on. Remember the multi-purpose belt? 
It was used to hold your pants up and quickly to a weapon of defense. My parents disciplined my brothers, not me. I was a good child, but Enrique and Danny, all the time. I knew I was called to ministry at the age of four. I'm kidding, that's not true. But I had saint-like qualities. So I'm talking about my brother Enrique and Danny. They were bad. We'd be in the car, rowdy, messing around, them two. I was reading my Bible, and Mom would look back and give us a warning. I'm going to pull this car over. And Lucifer here says, <laughs> he says, nah, bluffing. My mom's translating right now. Mom, I'm sorry, I want to tell this story. Bluffing. And, and back in the 80s and 90s, parents didn't bluff. So my mom pulled the car over and we quickly fell in repentance. And I hated that when my parents disciplined us, they weren't the type that did it right away in public. No, never. They, they liked torture. They looked at us in the eyes and said, come on, come, some, some of you are traumatic. It's coming back. Like, oh, wait till we get home. The psychological torture in that. And you were hoping by the time you got home, they'd forget. And you'd try to change the subject. Isn't this great weather, father and mother, we're having today? And, and they're like, come, we need to talk. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then the third thing about this, and I never understood. They would teach us why we were getting disciplined. And then they said something that ironically made no sense. We're doing this for your good. And I'm doing this because I love you. And I'm like, then don't do it. But what it did was, Hebrews 12, 11 says discipline does. All discipline from the moment, that moment of discipline seems not to be joyful. When God is disciplining us, we're not saying, wow, this is great. Thanks, God. I love this. So joyful. No, it's sorrowful. It hurts. You don't like it. But yet, to those who have been trained by it, why does God discipline us? He's training you. We're trained by it. Afterwards, it yields peaceful fruit. If God was the type of God to say, I love you so much, I'm never going to discipline you. Do what you want. We would be little demons. We would never yield fruit in our lives. But it is the discipline that God allows in our lives that train us. So the first reason bad things happen to, quote, good people, is because of bad choices. And God is training you. I wonder if God is disciplining you right now. The second reason, it says it right there. After we've been trained, afterwards, it yields fruit. In the Bible, that idea of fruit was always a reference to your character. Do you know that God allows sorrow in your life to build your character? To develop your character? Why would God want to develop my character? It's because if you believe He loves you, He disciplines you. Got it? Say, got it. If you believe now, like you said and confess, I trapped all of you. You don't know that. But if you, you said yes with confidence, you believe God had a purpose for your life. Did you not? If you really believe that, then God has to get your character ready for that purpose. Because any bad character will mess up the good purpose of God. Are you getting it? So while God uses discipline to train me, He uses discipline now to build my character. Let me explain how this works. During this whole quarantine thing, I was hanging drywall with my dad. 
And as I was hanging drywall, there was something interesting that I noticed. Drywall came in about eight feet. But I had to fit it into a smaller space. So I measured it. And I got this square and I measured it. And I drew a line. Just right across it, just drew a line. And this is what God does when you give your life to Jesus. There's a standard of measure you live by now. And that is the measure according to the Word of God. Got it? God has a measure for life. God has a measure by which we are to follow and live by. Before Jesus, your measure was your measure. You did what you wanted. You did what you felt. Life was about you. But now that you're following Jesus, you're under a new measure. And because now we're under a new measure of God, He has drawn a line. And God says, I don't change. I'm the same yesterday, today, forever. God has drawn a line. Why is it important I say this? Because if it was a sin then, it is a sin now. The line never changes. We're trying to change the line, but it doesn't change. God has drawn a line. Some of us, we get close to it, don't we? And then, God says, you're under a new measure. And there's certain things about you that you used to do. There's certain things about you you thought were okay. There are certain things you thought were normal. But you're a Christian now. You're following Jesus now. And because there's a new line that I've drawn for your life, because there's a new measure, there are certain things in your life I can't allow. It's not a good fit for you. You know that little attitude you have? It has to go. That selfishness, it's not going to fit. That anger with the purpose I have for you, it's not going to fit. Your values, your desires, they're not mine. It's not going to fit. So it, it has to go. And when I'm done, it fits with my purpose. Think about that. Because God says, I've drawn the line. If this walk could talk, it would say, what are you doing? Why are you cutting me? I don't like this. But could it be you're going through what you're going through because God is cutting things out of your life? In order to build a character that fits the measurement of standard He has in His Word? And that's why bad things happen to good people. So why God is cutting you, you can say, this is going to be good. Because when I'm getting through with this, I'm going to fit the purpose God has for my life. And as we close, the last reason, the first one was discipline. The second one was character. The last one is found in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Right now, affliction is happening in your life. You're thinking, man, God, I'm going through so much. God, I'm hurting. God, I'm miserable. God, you're cutting my character. God, you're developing me for your purpose, but I'm going through this. This hurts. This wasn't fair. You're afflicted right now by pain, by rejection, by loneliness. Whatever it is, it's afflicting you. You're thinking, God, why are you going? Why are you putting me through this? He says, He comforts you in your affliction. And here's why so that we will be able 
to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we. Notice the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. You know what God says? I'm putting you through this so that in the end when you come out, I'm going to bring someone into your life that's going to go through what you just went through. And you're going to be able to help them. You're going to be able to comfort them. You're going to be able to say, man, I've been there. Because sometimes it's not a preaching from a pastor you need. It's not a church service or even a scripture in the Bible someone needs. Sometimes you need someone who has been through it to tell you it's going to be okay. That's why when my mom went through cancer, she would tell me, I just want to meet someone that survived. I just want to meet someone that got through it because a Bible verse wasn't going to do it. A church service wasn't going to do it. But someone who had cancer was going to do it. And then when my mom went through the cancer, it's ironic how many people in the grocery stores, out in the street or even in the church, showed up with cancer. Do you think I prayed for them? No. Do you think I sat down with them? No. You know what I did? I said, Mom, only you can handle this one. And I would send her to her. And she would sit down and say, this is what you're going to feel. This is what you're going to go through. But I got through it. And you're going to get through it. And women with cancer would get hope. Why did God give my mom cancer? Because of that. To comfort. That's why I'm proud of you, Nancy. One year. Free from smoking. Give God praise for that. She had accountability with me. She was honest with me about it. One year, you know what I tell her all the time? Nancy, I can't wait to be able to send you over to someone that has a smoking problem. I'm not going to do it. Never smoked in my life. Nancy, what a chimney. But now... She's going to sit down with someone and she's going to say, I've been there and I got through it because you're going to get through it too. That's why I love our church because all of you are broken and messed up. I love it though that you don't come to forward like you have it all together. You don't come to forward like I have no, no. You guys, me included, we're a mess. Praise God. Because when God is done cutting us, more broken people are going to come and you're going to comfort them. Discipline, character, testimony. Come on, say it with me. Discipline, character, testimony. When you're going through something that's not good, it could be discipline. For your character to make you a testimony of the power of God. That's why when you're going through affliction, you can say, This is gonna be good. God is working it. Hava. I'm working it. Let's stand to pray. Father, thank you for this service. Father, many of us here are going through things we don't understand, we don't think it's fair, but Lord, there is good and this is going to be good. For some of us, you're going through discipline right now. Others are getting cut because of character and God is just making you a testimony. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, God, I haven't been living by your standard of measure. I've been drawing the line. If you want good to come out of this life of yours, you've got to surrender your life to Jesus and submit to his authority and his standard and his line that he's drawn. 
Let him discipline you. Let him cut you. Because in the end, you're going to yield fruit better than when you've lived without Jesus. And if you're here today and you're saying, well, Pastor, I love Jesus, I know Jesus, I'm following Jesus, but I'm going through affliction. I do not feel sorry for you. I am actually happy you're going through it because it teaches me and it shows me that you're going through what you're going through because God loves you and God has a purpose for you. So leave this church this morning knowing you are loved by God. He has a purpose for your life. And you're going to get through this. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, we're listening online. You're saying, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. It's simple. Surrender to Him. Surrender to Him. And pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm not good. But Jesus, I need you. I want you. Forgive me of my sins. I repent and I'll turn to you now, asking you to save me. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, God, I've been living with despair. I've been complaining, I've been negative, I've been hopeless. And I need you to forgive me. I will receive your discipline. I will receive the cutting you're doing out of my life from my character. Cut away what doesn't honor you. Cut away what's not going to fit my purpose. And Lord, make me a testimony to the ungodly people in my life. I have an ungodly friend. I have an ungodly spouse. I have an ungodly neighbor, co-worker. God is making you a comforter right now. God is making you a testimony for them right now. So stop whining. Stop complaining. Receive it in Jesus' name. Say, Lord, I receive what's good for me. And I trust you. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this message. Thank you, Lord, that you've sustained us these two months. We're here. We're back in your house. It may be smaller. It may be different. But I'm grateful that we're able to still preach your word together as a family. Continue to bless us in these great times of affliction. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give God some praise today. Come on.